Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and bowl season is upon us. We've got a quartet of guests ready to get you going for the college football postseason here on today's show. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where Jim Nagy, the executive director of their senior bowl, he's going to go through some of the top players heading down to Mobile uh, next month and just how this class is starting to shape up as we reach the end of the calendar year. We're going to stay in that all-star game circuit, talking with uh, Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl for Scouting Report, where he stopped by to break down one of the most explosive defensive players in the SEC this season. Always fun catching up with Eric, and he dropped some great insight there on a defender you need to know about as we get ready for the pre-draft process. After that, we start our bowl game prep with Saturday Scouting, where uh, we've got a lot of action this week in college football. Ben Fennel here to break it all down. We've got matchups to watch, a mock draft from Todd McShay from ESPN, some more all-star game acceptances, a bunch of names we're going to cover with Ben there in that segment. Then we wrap things up with Ross Tucker in pick six. We're going to pre Preview some of the big games that you need to watch here this weekend in college football. We keep our weekly competition going. I'm uh, I'm trailing a little bit. I need to make up some ground. We'll see if I'm able to do that this week. We'll hit on that at the end of the show. As always, make sure you go onto our Apple Podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe if you're not already. You get the show sent to your podcast device twice weekly from now up until the NFL Draft next April. That said, let's get things rolling. Excited to catch up with Jim Nagy. It's time for Mr. Relevant. <laughs> It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, this week's Mr. Relevant. That's Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Jim, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah. Hey, Frank. Good to be back on. Well, I'm excited to kind of dig into this. You've seen you've had so many announcements uh, over the, these last few weeks. And, uh, we're trying to keep up with the names and, and break them all down uh, as they hit the wire. But uh, the, the first topic I want to ask you about is the, the quarterback landscape that's going to be uh, we're going to be able to see down there in Mobile. So many of these top quarterbacks, you get into Desmond Ritter and Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. You go right down the line. All, so many of these top names are going to be down there in Mobile for the Senior Bowl just for, from a team's perspective perspective what do they get from being able to see all of these guys live next to each other rep after rep after rep each day in practice yeah we're, we're really excited about this group Fran you know I think the last couple of years you've, you've had guys like Justin Herbert and Mac Jones who have kind of been the clear-cut number one guy heading into the week and leaving the week I think with the you know, hopefully the five guys, six guys we have come into this year's game, um, I think they'll they'll have to sort themselves out. I don't think there's a consensus guy, you know, for the league right now. I think if you pull the league of our, our, our guys we have committed, I think there'd be probably a different order uh, depending on who you speak to. So, you know, all the takeaways that you can't get from tape is what they'll be focused on. I mean, I think anyone that hasn't seen these guys play, guys play live, obviously they're going to want to look at, you know, the build and the arm strength. But more importantly, you know, how they take the information onto the field. I think that's where where Mac Jones really separated himself last year in terms of, you know, taking the playbook and being comfortable on Tuesday, you know, which isn't easy to do. He really, in my my three previous years, Mac was probably the first guy that I can remember that came out, you know, day one and knew where to go with the ball and the ball was coming out on time. Um, and just the, the interactions with teammates. And, and uh, again, it's new teammates, you know, it's seeing how guys, how, how you know, how, uh, how those connections are made and just how they handle themselves and the interview process is always big. So there's so many takeaways from the, from the week. I think, you know, we tell these guys when they get here that they're, they're basically, uh, 
you know, they're, they're, they're being, they're being evaluated every minute of what they're doing, not just on the football field. So um, just a ton of takeaways that I think the teams are really drilling down on stuff they can't see on tape. And just giving our listeners a little bit of a peek behind the scenes when, you know, for most teams, and I don't want to speak for all 32, but for most teams, when they go down, they're going to assign an area scout uh, to one position group. Hey, you're going to watch just the quarterbacks uh, throughout the course of the day of practice. And so, as you mentioned, all of the, you know, all the things that go into not just what they do uh, during all these drills, but everything in between there, it's all going to be watched uh, by all these eyes in the stands. And, and to me, I guess the, the big question I've got for you, uh, how much is that from a, especially a quarterback looking at like how they command uh, each drill or, you know, the lead, the, the huddles and stuff, uh, you know, in terms of inside that position group, how much weight the, does that carry going into that process? Yeah, I think that varies by team too, Fran. And that's just, I guess that falls on each decision maker on how much they, you know, really, um, communicate with their staffs because I know the guys that come down, especially, you know, the staffs that have their sleeves rolled up and they want to get to work. Um, there's so many great takeaways. Now that you've got all, like you said, you've got all these scouts assigned to different position groups. Now it's okay. When do, how do we get that information back to the guys that can, you know, have to use it in April. Um, but those are, that's why all the eyes are on them. You know, it's not just the drills. I think everyone's going to watch when the ball's in flight and things of that nature, but it's the guys that are keyed in on each position group whether they're on the field, you know, you know, up in the drills, kind of like, you know, because I think we're going to credential up to four people per team down on the field. So you can get right in the mix there um, and you watch it or if it's just from the stands or you're watching guys walking off the field after practice and things of that nature. I mean, all those little things are keys. They're, they're really in the big scheme of things, Fran, you know this. I mean, there's not that much time for these teams really to be around these players in the terms of the pre-draft process. So any little thing they can glean over over their seven days in Mobile, they're, you know, you, you have to grab onto that stuff. Um, and there's going to be other opportunities. There's going to be combine and there's going to be pro days and 30 visits. But but it really starts here in Mobile where they can kind of lay the foundation of, OK, where do we need to go with each prospect the rest of the way through the process? So let's get into uh, some of the other position groups here. And I, I guess just kind of uh, big picture scope. Who's the most explosive athlete uh, that you guys have signed up for the game so far? Obviously, that's a, an area that a lot of fans, a lot of teams uh, are very interested in the guys that uh, just kind of move different from everybody else. Yeah, there's there's some good ones. Maje Sanders at, at Cincinnati, the pass rusher, is a really explosive guy. Um, there's no doubt about that. Jalen Petrie, kind of the nickel safety, do-it-all DB from Baylor is an explosive guy. When you just see him, how sudden he is in the slot, making plays and triggering on stuff. Um, when you just talk about pure explosion, I think a re really interesting one is going to be Tariq Wool in the corner from UTSA. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, you know, I was I was down at uh, San Antonio a couple weeks ago, giving Tariq his his invite. And I mean, he's impressive on tape. He looks like a big sucker on tape. And then when you get up on him, like this dude is is huge, and he's you know he's going to jump out of the gym. And um, so for a big explosive guy like that, he's really impressive. And even the, just keeping it at the cornerback position, I'm kind of working across the board right now in my office, but like Marcus Jones, uh, yep. the defensive back returner for Houston is a, he's an explosive guy in, in all phases. You know, he, even, even when he, the limited reps he got at wide receiver, you see, you see some of the short area bursts that he has. So um, yeah, some really, some really explosive guys. And Again, those are things you feel at field level. That's the thing that like stood out with Debo Samuel a couple of years ago at practice was, you know, he looks explosive on tape, but when you see it and it's like right in front of your face um, and you see the juice that these guys have, I mean, that's when it really makes an impact.
And again, just seeing them all go back to back to back, those guys can really kind of set themselves apart. And uh, another area where they can set themselves apart are in those one-on-one drills. And that's something obviously everybody is so excited to see. And I want to ask you, uh, when you're looking at wide receiver DB one-on-ones, is there a player or two on either side that you're just most excited to see, whether it's just, uh, you know, you're anxious to see how a guy performs or you think a guy's really going to stand out? Uh, are there any uh, receiver or DBs that you think will uh, really shine in those one-on-one drills? I'm excited to see Jahan Dotson because he's sure. another guy but explosive. Um, Jahan Dotson's a really fun player because he's he's such a light mover. He, he kind of, you know, he's so light-footed. He kind of glides, coasts, and then he, and he also – some guys have that quality – but they don't have the explosive element and Jahan does. So he's going to be a tough cover. There's no doubt. I'm excited to see Danny Gray, the receiver from SMU. Uh, I hate to leave anyone out, but like Danny's a guy that I just think is all upside right now. Um, You know, when we started watching him last summer off his junior tape coming out of junior college and not having a, not having an off season because of COVID. um, I mean, just was so, you know, intrigued by what he would look like this year. And he has taken that next step. So, and I haven't had a chance to see Danny play live. I think we saw him play as a staff three or four times, but I didn't see him. So I'm excited to see Danny Gray. Um, and, then in, and then in some of the coverage stuff, I think Roger McCreary from Auburn, the corner, who who I've seen play live a couple times, even going back to high school here in Mobile at Williamson High School. Uh, I want to see how Roger competes because that's, that's his thing. He's so competitive. I can't wait to see Roger down here. And then I got like Darian Kendrick um, from Georgia. I think, I think Darian Kendrick, the, the Clemson transfer, has a lot to prove during the week. He, uh, you know, he, a lot of teams threw away from Darian this year when they could actually get the ball off against that Georgia front seven. Um, he's going to, he's going to have a big week in front of him in terms of one-on-ones because in terms of pure man coverability, you could make the case he, he, he might have the best in this class coming to Mobile. This corner group overall is just really, really exciting. I think there are a number of guys that are really, really intriguing. They have various skill sets as well. Uh, getting into the trenches and talking about uh, some of the O-line, D-line one-on-ones, we know that that could be a moneymaker for these guys. Uh, is there anybody that you're most excited to see in those drills? Probably Trevor Penning from Northern mm-hmm. Iowa. Uh, you know, he's he's just such a dominant player. I've seen some of the video you, you've posted of of him, Fran, over the course of the fall, and, and Ben Fennel, you guys have done such a great job posting some of this stuff. And, and Trevor's just so dominant. So he's going to come down here, and he's going to have a chance in, in practice to go against, like, Dimaje Sanders, is the El- Arnold Abiquetti's from Penn State, you know, Amari Barno from Virginia Tech, so some really accomplished and, and athletic edge guys. So I think if anyone has, like, you talk about making money, um, I really equate Trevor Penning right now to a similar spot that maybe Eric Fisher was, you know, 10 or 11 sure. years ago. Central Michigan. I think for most teams, Eric was probably a late one, early two, um, coming into senior bowl week. And he went all the he, you know, he rose all the way to number one overall. So I'm not trying to put that pressure on Trevor at all. I just see him as a similar type of guy. I think I think the NFL knows what Trevor is physically. They just want to see him do it against NFL people, um, future NFL people. So he's in for a big week. And then, you know, flip it on the other side. I mean, there's a there's a couple guys. I'd like to see Logan Hall, the defensive tackle from Houston. Um, go go up against some of these really good interior guys we have coming like Zion Johnson from Boston College. Um, there's always some really good trench battles going on in one-on-ones this year. And I, I really like the evenness of both of these groups, this O-line class and the D-line class. I think that's one of the one one of the things that has stood out most to me, just kind of going through the roster so far, is that you know, last year I know you guys had a bunch of defensive ends that you had to kick inside to defensive tackle throughout the course of the week. You know, someone that we have here in Philadelphia, Teron Jackson, was one of those players that had to kick inside a defensive tackle for a day or two. It doesn't seem like that's gonna necessarily be the case uh, here this time. Uh, plenty of defensive tackles with a, a really impressive pedigree going down. 
Yeah, no, it, it was a really thin interior D-line class last year, and we were just trying to bring the best players regardless. And and, and Teron Jackson's a guy that, that really benefited. You know, he got to show off his ability to go inside and rush on guards. You know, I think that's what all-star games are all about, is showcasing your versatility. You know, you, you've heard it a million times with, with you know, the more you can do, right? Um, and that was always kind of, kind of the mantra of the teams I worked for. So, so no, it's, it's, it's great. And this year's D-line class, I mean, you look at the guys we brought, um, you know, Fedarian Mathis from Alabama, Devontae Wyatt from Georgia, Haskell Garrett, Ohio State, um, Travis Jones, uh, you know, on and on and on. I mean, the Perry and Winfrey, Oklahoma, it's a, it's a talented group. I already mentioned those. So, so it's just a, it's a different group than last year. There's more explosive guys. Um, I think a lot of these guys have true pass rush upside. Um, not that they're true, like guys that are going to be three down guys walking into the NFL, um, but they, they show enough in terms of first step quickness or, or, you know, you know, power on the interior that you could see them playing on all three downs, you know, after a year or two in the league. So yeah, really excited about the, this interior group. It's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a deeper group than last year. I'll just say that. Yeah. And you look at that, that, that group overall, also a linebacker, a really intriguing group as well. And uh, you know, when you look at that Georgia defense and what they did this year in college football, obviously look, Nicobe Dean, the junior linebacker, he wins the Butkus award. He's first team all sec, got a lot of the headlines, but uh, you look at Channing Tindall and Quay Walker. I- I'm so intrigued by these two Georgia linebackers that are heading down uh, to mobile for the senior bowl. Uh, I'd be interested to try and get your thoughts on both these guys, Tindall and Quay Walker. What do they bring to the league and, and what can they do to kind of improved their stock here going down to mobile yeah i gotta give uh their position coach glenn schumann a, a lot of credit here because he uh he put these guys on my radar uh, a long time ago um and glenn was at alabama for a long time so we, we've known each other for, for a long time now and he said he's like i've got a couple guys that haven't haven't been starters yet jim but but they're they're really good football players and they've and they've made glenn look smart they've proven it um you know channing tindall i think is you know he's going to be six one and change 235 pounds uh, maybe the best run and hit linebacker in the class. And in, in my opinion, just in terms of that vein, like, you know, seeing the ball and, 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 you know, can get there. I mean, he, he plays like a guy that could maybe touch into the high four fours, um, like a Bobby Wagner that I was with in Seattle for five years when he was coming out of Utah state. I think Bobby was like a four, four, eight guy coming out. I think Tyndall's going to run really fast. Uh, you see him play sideline and sideline. And then Quay Walker, um, you know, I think Quay's like six, three and a half, 245 pounds. So even a bigger man, like Tyndall's big, like Quay, Quay Walker is a whole different thing. And, and to me, like I went and saw them play South Carolina this year. And I tried to make that point on a Twitter post that, uh, when you, you, you can see Quay Walker's big on tape, but you don't appreciate until you get up on this guy. He is, um, kind of similar back to Tariq Woolen, you know, like Quay Walker, actually coach Schumann and I were talking about this the other day that he's going to make money just by walking out on the practice field because people are going to see how big he is. And then when you see him move around, um, when you see how light he is on his feet, like during drills, um, I mean, he is a, he's a 245 pound guy that can play on all three downs, which in a league that's getting smaller and smaller at linebacker to find guys that can play on third down Quay's kind of that hard guy to find. That's the, your old school size linebacker, but can still move and play in space. So um, it's two really good stories. Two guys that are first year starters that that really earn their way into the game, and I think we'll go both go somewhere on day two. Yeah, and that's what like honestly, we're uh, the Eagles are getting ready to play the Washington football team, and so I'm watching this defense and see uh, Jameen Davis, the rookie, who was a top twenty pick, you know, number nineteen overall uh, by Washington. 
very similar measurables to Quay Walker. And I, to me, like I see Walker as a, a better football player right now than what I saw from Davis a year ago. And I, I'm really, really intrigued by this kid. And he would be a player that I feel like isn't getting quite enough buzz in the media space. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is there a player when you look at your board that you also feel uh, isn't quite getting the, the same amount of buzz uh, in the media that maybe they deserve? And we know that that happens every year. And then we get down to Mobile. It's like, oh, yeah, like we, we got to get this guy uh, up the board a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, you're right with Quay, and I think it's because of the defense, right? Like Jordan yeah. Davis has been the guy that's gotten a lot. J- J- Nicobe Dean's gotten a lot of praise. Um, but the rest of them, they, they just get talked about collectively as a group and not not the individual. So I agree with you on Quay. I would say a couple guys. I think JoJo Dolman at Nebraska is a guy that we're, we're big fans of here in Mobile. Our, our staff is really high on JoJo. I mean, he's a 235-pound guy that, that moves like he's 205 pounds, and he, he can do just about everything. He's played safety. He's played will linebacker. I think in sub situations, you can move him all over the place. I mean, you've seen him set the edge against tight ends. You've seen him, you know, drop. He, I think it was the Michigan game. There was one where he dropped about 45 yards down the field and picked a ball off in center field. I just, you know, it was good to see him get first-team AP All-American because I felt like he was a guy that's really been being slept on. I, I We think he's a heck of a player. Um, so th- those two guys really stand out. But I think if you went across the board, maybe Marcus Jones, who I mentioned earlier, the corner from Houston, is a guy that we think is solidly a day-two player. Uh, he can play in any he can play in any system. He's played free safety. He's played nickel. He's played outside a corner, um, and, and he can blanket you. And he's hype. And he's just a feisty, really hyper competitive uh, cover guy. So those would be, I think those would be probably probably a couple more names to add to Quay Walker to that list. Yeah, when you factor in Jones' impact on special teams, it just kind of sets that high floor as a versatile do-it-all DB, but also an impact return man. Uh, you kind of know what you're getting there. And then you're also betting on the come with what he can be uh, down the road. You love those high floor, high ceiling uh, kind of combos. Jim, this has been awesome. Uh, really appreciate the time during the busy season for you as it continues to crank up. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Yeah, Frank, can't thank you enough for having me on. And I look forward to having you down here in Mobile when you get a chance. No doubt. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. Well, we're really excited to be welcoming uh, for scouting report this week. Once again, Eric Galco, the director of football operations and player personnel at the Shrine Bowl. And Eric, I want to get into a player uh, that you guys announced, I believe, last week uh, over on the Shrine Bowl account. He's heading uh, to Las Vegas for the All-Star Game. And this is Auburn linebacker. Zacoby McLean. Now, McLean first popped on my radar last year when he was named. Uh, he was first team All SEC, I believe, last year. But watching him on film, um, I was I was studying Jamie and Sherwood last year, and McLean was flying around. And immediately was like, "Yeah, I have to keep an eye on, on this kid moving forward." So I'm interested to see uh, when McLean first popped on your radar uh, and what stood out to you most on that first exposure. Yeah, no, I mean, the same same season, same situation where you watch this player, you're not really sure based on how quickly he moves and how explosive he is, what position he's even playing sometimes when you're watching somebody else, but extremely explosive, extremely fluid, can work in a lot of different alignments at linebacker and was one of the leaders on the Auburn team in tackles, may have led the team in tackles in 2020, so. one of the yep. SEC leaders, yep. and just a completely impressive 
versatile linebacker that just jumps off the film. And like you were saying, when I was watching Auburn a year ago, I wasn't watching for Zacobi McLean, and you can't help but notice how impactful he was last season. So the, the thing is, I mean, he's listed six foot two eleven. He was up the, the last year. He was up to two nineteen, I believe, on the team site. Uh, this year, we'll see what he comes in at uh, when he gets to you guys in January. But uh, interested to kind of get the the full book here on Zacoby McLean and your evaluation of him. Yeah, I, I think the overall size and the frame is there to be a six foot two twenty plus linebacker safety hybrid that's what his destiny really is going to be right we're seeing so many more teams run three three five and four two five and kind of have a safety linebacker hybrid i think he kind of fits that mold to a t where he can play traditional four three linebacker four three weak side and and play in space and play in coverage does that pretty well he had a pick six i think in 2020 for 100 yards um, and he can definitely play well in coverage, but it's the ability to be instinctive and work up field, finish on tackles for a loss, finish in the backfield, work against those wide receiver screens. He's able to be a complete pass coverage player in the short area, finish on receivers in space, and be a really impactful in-space linebacker that can blitz, that can break down screens, that can stop the RPO game, can do all those things that you need to stop explosive plays on offense. He's that kind of explosive play stopper on defense for Auburn and will be in the NFL. When you talk about the the frame aspect of a player, and obviously I guess it's going to change position by position, how much uh, impetus do agents and representatives, uh, trainers put on that part of it, getting ready uh, for you know an all star game, for the combine, for the pro day, in terms of hey, we it's really really important that we beef you up and get you ready for that way. Yeah, I think it's important. The way it's part of it, you also want to be at your best in drills or combine testing. So it's this delicate balance of you want to look impressive, but also be able to be what you're best at. I think for Zacoby, it's, hey, being even just adequate, and he'll be above average as a as a cover man and running backs and tight end drills at the East West Shrine Bowl. And then coming down and flowing in space and, again, working through screens, working through traffic when he's in space is so, so important in Zacoby's game. And I think staying explosive is really important there as well. But certainly as a linebacker, if you see 2-2 in front of his weight, right, 2-2, whatever, you're thinking, okay, he's 220-something, he could play linebacker in the NFL. And we're starting seeing the days of the 235-240 linebacker being needed or kind of over with already. But I think for Zacoby, being showing that he can kind of have enough bulk to withstand some of those really impressive pulling guards or fullbacks or tight ends in space will be impressive important for him to show at an all-star game but i have no doubt that Kobe can work through those players work around them and he'll be really really impressive this draft process he's a playmaker with still a lot of room to get bigger and better in his body type to be an nfl starter and a guy that can come in and contribute on special teams as well. He's been a starter on two Absolutely. units every single year. Uh, he's been on campus with the Auburn Tigers. Eric, thanks so much for joining us once again here uh, on Scouting Report on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, time to go through a giant Rolodex of players here. As I, we start Saturday scouting, I welcome in Ben Fennel. Ben, we've got a lot to get to today. We're going to start with our uh, all-star game speed round, which we typically do every single week. And we're going to do uh, some senior bowl number or senior bowl names here. And we'll start with a big one with quarterback Kenny Pickett. Uh, the star from Pitt has been outstanding here this season and made it official that he was going to go to the senior bowl just late last week. And when you look at Kenny Pickett, uh, everything that he has done this year, he we've talked about him plenty. We talked about almost on a weekly basis, uh, has really boosted his stock with the way he has performed in his final season that extra year that fifth year uh was really beneficial to him savvy player in the pocket accuracy touch mental processing uh he's got some, a creative element to him just a really fun player to watch and uh as we talked about earlier with jim 
this is a guy that's going to be on display with some of the other best quarterbacks in this class down there in Mobile. It's going to make for a really interesting environment for teams that are scouting the quarterback position. Uh, staying in the backfield, let's go with a running back here and a guy that you've really been talking about now uh, going back to the, the, the spring and the summer, and that's Michigan's Hassan Haskins. Yeah, I'm really excited he got the invite after a huge 2021 where he was kind of the lead dog with Zach Charbonnet off to UCLA. But he's got good size. He catches the ball well. He's only played a little over 500 snaps on offense in his four years at Michigan. And what's really weird is very first year, played in three games on special teams and didn't take a red shirt. So he almost kind of wasted a year within that, dabbled with the switch to linebacker, then back to running back. Long story short, Fran, he's had a turbulent career at Michigan, but it's ended on a high note, obviously, and hopefully he continues that strong campaign into the college football playoff, I believe. Into the, yeah, I believe he is. Uh, he's and, yeah, he's into, into, the in, yeah. into some, in, uh, some bowl games. So I'm really excited. Put on his 2020 tape. He made defenders pay out there in the open field. He's a bruising back. He's high cut. He's got some juice to get to the corner. Even some former Ohio State games where maybe they didn't get the W like they did this year, he was really productive. I have a play up on my Twitter of him stiff-farming Pete Warner to the ground on the way into the end zone. So he's a guy that's uh, been productive anytime he's on the field, just hasn't been on the field a whole lot. That's what I feel like I was kind of going through. I'm like, I haven't heard anything about Haskins opting out of the college football playoff. I feel like we would have heard by that. Uh, so, yeah, my guess is uh, he will be suiting up against Georgia. Uh, let's go back to you here for a player that I know that you've done recently, and that's uh, San Diego State tight end Daniel Bellinger. Uh, one of I think there's like eight tight ends heading down to Mobile, a bunch of guys at this position. We know it's a really deep senior tight end class. What can you tell us about Bellinger? Well, he's a three-year starter for San Diego State. He's got really good size at 6'6", 255. Not only being a three-year starter, he just turned 21 in September. So he's a guy that played starting ball in the Mountain West Conference as a young, you know, 19, 20-year-old for a while. And they don't feature the tight end in the pass game. So he was doing a lot of dirty work, run blocking, a little bit of Y with the hand in the ground, a little bit of the wing move tight end, even some fullback. He's got a track background. So he gets all the spots really well. A little underwhelming power-wise. But he is 6'5", 6'6", 260. So he just has a large frame with good feet and athleticism. How many times do we see these hulking, weightlifting tight ends that can move people? But if you can't get your feet to the right spot and have the athletic quickness to get those blocks, you're never going to make the block. So Bellinger has the size. We can make him stronger at the next level. And he might have a little more upside in the pass game than we've seen uh, at San Diego State. Reminds me a lot of Nick Vanette out of Ohio State, similar trajectory coming out of Ohio State, not featured. And Vanette's been hanging around the NFL for six, seven years, uh, ever since he came out. Yeah, no doubt. And we'll go over to uh, the defensive side of the football. Kingsley Enigbare from South Carolina, pass rusher, 6'4", 260 pounds. You actually put me on to Enigbare last January. We thought that he was actually going to come out, and then he eventually went back. And you know, I remember you first did your study on him when there was rumors that he was going to enter the draft. He was first-team All-SEC a year ago, led the Gamecocks in sacks that season, goes back. And I've, I've been impressed with Enigbare anytime I've watched him. You know, At that size, at 6'4", 260, uh, he's a good athlete. He's got loose hips. He's got an explosive first step. I love the energy that he plays with, the intensity. He can string moves together. I think he can get a little bit better at the top of the rush with his hands. But overall, I think there's a lot to work with there. He actually really reminded me of Whitney Merciless uh, when Merciless was coming out of Illinois. That was the name I wrote down uh, while studying him. I think Enigbare, uh, one of the more underrated players in this class. It's a really good group of defensive linemen, and I think that's kind of why he's flying under the radar a little bit. And I think I would say the same thing about Ohio State's Tyreek Smith, who's also going to the Senior Bowl. 
I feel like a lot of these Ohio State guys get caught under the radar because it just so happens you're behind a Bosa or you're behind Chase Young, and all of a sudden, who's Jonathan Cooper? He ends up being one of the best pass rushers in the league as a rookie right now for the Denver Broncos. Same thing with Tyreek Smith, who maybe isn't the, you know, the 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 hero of the defensive front or anything, but he's a really solid player. He's 6'4", 267, really good run defender, sets strong edges, has a little bit of juice as a pass rusher to maybe inside dart or, you know, kind of bull rush some guys back into the pocket. Just not a lot of exciting qualities doesn't really have the length, doesn't have the explosiveness, doesn't have that dripping first step or flexibility. He's just a really good, well-rounded player. And Jonathan Cooper showed up to the Senior Bowl last year and kind of wowed us all with his solid play. And I think Tyreek Smith can do the same thing. And we remember, it's like you mentioned, you have the Chase Youngs and the Bosa's, and it's like, oh, you know, th- these guys are great players, and they're so well coached. Larry Johnson, one of the best defensive line coaches in the in in the country, if not the best defensive line coaches in the country. Well, when you get to Jonathan Cooper and you get to Tyreek Smith, guess what? They're getting the same coaching those guys are getting. So when you watch Tyreek Smith, he does a lot of those things that we loved about Chase Young and about the Bosa's in terms of you know the hands and feet still working simultaneously. He's always gaining ground while using his hands. And I would say the same thing about Haskell Garrett, one a player that you and I both really like. He's going down to Mobile, 6'2", 300 pounds. This is a pure three technique playing for Ohio State. What I love about Haskell Garrett is that you're just checking boxes. He's got a quick first step. I love his energy and play style. His compete level is really, really high. He can get after it as a pass rusher. He also can hold up pretty well in the run game. He can get moved a little bit by double teams, but I like his, his competitiveness and he's got just really light feet, really impressive lateral quickness. He's got some suddenness to close. He's got really heavy, violent hands. So you just start checking boxes with Haskell Garrett, just like you start checking boxes with Tyreek Smith and you say, oh, man, these guys are pretty good players, both of them heading to Mobile. Let's get up to the linebacker level and talk about Brian Asamoah from Oklahoma, one of the redshirt juniors who's got eligibility for the Senior Bowl because he got his degree. Uh, tell us here about Brian Asamoah. This is a guy you and I have both studied over the last week. Yeah, kind of a, a younger player here as he's, a, I think, I believe a true junior, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, got the degree, really athletic player, a little undersized at 6'1", about 225, but you see it with his foot speed, his quickness, his lateral range, but you also see it with his propensity to fall off tackles, you know, so I want to see a little bit more toughness, a little more secure tackling ability, but you can really tap into his athleticism in some creative ways as well. So when you get him as a blitzer and that kind of closing speed on the quarterback or pursuit speed on the quarterback as a spy on third down, you can really see that. So he may not be a traditional base linebacker, but he could be a guy that fits in some sub packages. He's If you squint, I think you could see, like, if you really like Brian Asamoah, you squint, you could see, like, a Patrick Queen and what people loved about Patrick Queen coming out of LSU. And he's had some ups and downs with the Baltimore Ravens so far as a first-round pick. But I think that's what you're hoping for. We'll see if he can prove to be that when he gets to the Senior Bowl. Another linebacker here announced for the Senior Bowl, Troy Anderson from Montana State. We've talked about him recently here on the show because he initially was signed up to go to the Shrine Bowl, has changed course, now looking like he's going to head to the Senior Bowl. He's a big kid. We can go back to previous episodes and kind of give it in the scouting report. I don't need to dive too deep, but converted quarterback running back. Uh, Jim Nagy actually quote tweeted the, the announcement and said that some teams even view his, him to be a potential Taysom Hill type offensive weapon in the NFL. So kind of interesting versatility there with Troy Anderson. Is he going to be an offensive guy or a defensive guy? Uh, we will see. Maybe he ends up in New England and does a little bit of both. Uh, let's go now to the secondary here. Uh, the last player we're going to hit on for the senior bowl, Riley Moss from Iowa. And I don't know that we've done too much here on Riley Moss, Ben. Uh, Big 10 defensive back of the year, first team all conference. Conference. Uh, give us your thoughts here on Riley Moss. You and I both studied him this week. 
Well, he's a guy that obviously uh, became on my radar with his ball skills this year and obviously getting that highly touted uh, defensive back player of the year in the Big Ten, which is no slouch considering all the Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State type of players out there. But he's a guy that certainly the speed shows up. You could see the speed background as he had a track background, was the state hurdle record, I believe, in the state of Iowa coming out. You could see the length as well, gets in and out of breaks really well, has the long speed, it's really comfortable. He's just one of those guys that you can't always figure out where he's going to project best at the next level. Doesn't play a lot of press man. You see the length occasionally, um, you know, has some issues with play strength and getting off some blocks and kind of finishing ball carriers here and there. So he might convert to more of a free safety prospect. Reminded me a little bit as we were watching him yesterday of uh, Jordan Brown that came out of San Diego State a few years ago. And then in that same kind of realm, do you remember Jordan Miller that came out of Washington? Yeah, Washington. That yeah, same Washington. Time? Yep. Yep. Similar type of guy, 6'1", 190, long, just can't really figure out where to play him, but he's got a lot of athleticism. I like, too, when we were talking to the, the, the Troy Apke comparison as well, and I, I do yeah. think that there would not shock me if people viewed him as a potential safety. And I think when you look at it, it's not because he can't run. I think it's more just uh, he excels playing from depth. And when you watch him uh, with eyes on the football, be able to track it the whole way. I mean, we saw some outstanding interceptions from him on film. Uh, they played all off zone coverage at Iowa. So it would not shock me if some teams viewed him uh, as a safety. I would just like his angles to the ball to be a little bit better, especially in the run game, just be a little bit more forceful as a tackler. That's not an area uh, that he's a, that's a strength of his game right now, a corner. He'll need to be even better with that uh, as a safety. Let's get over to the Shrine Bowl. A bunch of announcements I want to get to here, and we'll start with uh, De'Ara King, the quarterback from Miami, former big-time recruit, started his career at Houston, then goes to the, the, the U and has been a starter there for the last couple of years, went back for his extra year. The big thing with De'Ara King – his durability. Yeah, he has been hurt every single year. So dynamic athlete, uh, potentially uh, could be a guy that could change positions, but he will be a quarterback uh, down at the Shrine Bowl, and he'll be throwing passes to one of his former teammates and another former teammate there of uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, Charleston Rambo from Miami, who is the transfer from Oklahoma, Ben. Yeah, so Rambo had a really good 2021. He had, like you had said, came over from Oklahoma, had a quiet couple of years there, buried behind guys like C.D. Lamb and all those top recruits that Lincoln Riley brought in. But he had a great year this year with 79 catches, 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns, tons of really strong hands at the catch point, and he's got a vertical element. It's these types of guys that fall into day three and fill out NFL receiver rooms. And before we put De'Ara King to bed, two names I just want to give fans. Malcolm Perry. That came out of Navy a few years ago, undersized quarterback that was also pretty mobile. He has carved out some unique roles in the NFL. And I remember Nick Marshall came out of Auburn. Ooh, nice what did one. he end up doing? Played defensive Played back corner, for the yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars. So De'Aaron King maybe going into Shrine Bowl week as a quarterback, maybe coming out completely different. So he's the type of guy that if his uh, willingness is there, could be a ball clay for an NFL team. Let's get to some offensive linemen here. Jackson Kirkland, the uh, the left tackle for Washington. He's played some right guard as well, so that versatility will serve him very well. He's played both sides of the line and inside and outside, and so that really helps with the projection. Potentially a guy that can play any of four positions in the NFL. You really like that as a former, uh, I think, I believe a three- or four-year starter for the Huskies. And then Alec Lindstrom, the center from Boston College, a personal favorite of both you and I. Uh, this is a guy that I think checks a lot of boxes to me. One of the best players that's going to the Shrine Bowl right now, Alec Lindstrom, the center from Boston College. Yeah, two really good players there, two really experienced players there. Kirkland's a guy that's played a variety of spots. Lindstrom as well has played, I want to say, 3,000 snaps out there at Boston College. A guy that I love on the move as well. He's going to be a great screen interior offensive lineman at the next level. 
And then on the defensive line, a couple of guys that I think are pretty similar in Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma and Ryder Anderson from Indiana. Both guys uh, can line up outside off the edge and kick inside when necessary. Isaiah Thomas did it, uh, did both for Oklahoma over the last couple of years. He's played some four-eye technique head up on the tackle, and he's also kicked out and played over tight ends. And so that position versatility, I think, will serve him really well. Ryder Anderson has done that this year for Indiana. He's done it in the past for Ole Miss. He was a four-year player uh, with the Rebels down there in the SEC, transferred up for his final year with the Hoosiers. So some big-body DNs that can kick inside to tackle. I want to ask you about another Hoosier there in Micah McFadden. Oh, real quick, real quick. Uh, Ryder Anderson, brother of Rodney Anderson, that right. came at Oklahoma a few years ago. Uh, kind of interesting as well. But Micah McFadden says he's a Big Ten linebacker. He's a guy that you could just see playing for the Packers or the Bears out there in the Midwest. And Nicole is a guy that's kind of a no-nonsense linebacker, plays through contact really well, excellent tackler, excellent blitzer. Let's just see what type of athleticism he has to contribute in the pass game contribute on special teams. That's where you carve out your roles if you're going to end up being a day three priority free agent. All right, let's transition now to some of these bowl games. And what we'll do every single week here in this episode is we'll try and get you ready for the next slate of bowl games to come. And we'll do different, we'll have different approaches. This week, what we're going to do for these next handful of bowl games is we're going to each pick one player from each either side of the ball. So, for instance, we're going to start with the Friday afternoon Bahamas Bowl, which is Middle Tennessee State versus Toledo. And I'm going to take uh, when Middle Middle Tennessee State has uh, the, has the ball on offense versus the Toledo defense. Who's the player you need to be watching? And I'm going to tell you about Toledo safety Tyson Anderson. And he's going to the Senior Bowl. So it's a guy we've talked about a couple times here on the show. And what I really like about Tyson Anderson, number one, uh, you love his size. You know, he's got a unique build, a unique frame at 6'2 208 pounds, 33-inch long arms. He was on the freak list this summer. You watch him on film, and this is a guy who's got a feel for playing for the playing the position. He's got tight end matchup ability. He's a fluid athlete at that size. And I think when you look at uh, Kyle Hamilton, if you miss out on Kyle Hamilton in round one, I think you can get to Tyson Anderson in the in the middle rounds and say you feel pretty good about uh, the value there. A really, really intriguing player in this safety class and a guy worth watching. The very first bowl game here this fall, Bahamas Bowl, Friday afternoon. I believe it's a 12 p.m. start uh, Eastern time here. Keep an eye on Tyson Anderson from Toledo. So with that said, when you go to the other side of the ball, Toledo's got the ball, Middle Tennessee State on defense. Who's the guy we should be watching here, Ben? Well, I think we all know about Reed Blankenship at this point. Safety in Middle Tennessee State. I believe he's headed into the Senior Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Fran, he's got over 4,000 snaps played between defense and special teams. We all know about him. But he's going to be challenging a really unsung player, and that I think needs more attention. That's Toledo running back Brian Kobach, who's six foot 210, Fran, in his career. 600-plus carries, nearly 4,000 yards, 45 touchdowns in his career. One of the most productive players in college football, 54 catches as well the last two seasons. Former Kentucky transfer, so he was a guy the SEC was interested in. Transferred over to Toledo, really, really productive player. Makes defenders miss routinely. So once he gets into the open field, look for number 22, Bryant Kobach, and let's see if Reed Blankenship can uh, bring him down to the open field. I think when you talk about these max schools, I think everybody gets so caught up in all oh, maxion, 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 Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, during the late, late, late in the fall. People forget that max schools turn out NFL talent 
on the regular. Uh, all Every single year, you're going to get quality NFL talent from the Mac. And I think a, a couple of these guys we hit on between Kobach and Anderson uh, certainly are going to fit that bill. Let's go to Friday night, the Cure Bowl. Northern Illinois, another Mac team going up against Coastal Carolina. I'll start things off with Coastal's offense against the NIU defense. And I think when you look at Coastal, uh, they've got a tight end, a senior tight end, and Isaiah Likely. Really athletic, dynamic, uh, kind of move, movable chess piece for that offense. And a high school receiver who made the move to tight end when he got to Coastal. Uh, so he's got that athleticism. He can make some tough catches uh, at all three levels, and he is a dynamic three-level threat for them in that offense. But I also really love the way they use him in the run game, on the move as a blocker. He's not your traditional hand in the dirt uh, next to the offensive tackle blocker, but lead plays, uh, getting it in the backfield on arc releases, getting up to safeties and nickels and linebackers, he really, really excels. So Isaiah Likely, one of my favorite kind of combo weapons uh, in this tight end group. He's going to the senior bowl. Watch out for him on Friday night. Yeah, let's go to the other side of the ball here. We'll see if edge rusher for Coastal Carolina, Jeffrey Gunter, can get on the back of Rocky Lombardi, uh, quarterback for Northern Illinois. Don't forget, he's a transfer from Michigan State Lombardi. But Jeffrey Gunter, I don't think he played as well in 2021. Thought about coming out last year after a really productive year. He's a guy with over 100 QB pressures in his career, over 20 sacks. He's 6'4", 260, and is a legitimate outside linebacker. Not like a, oh, he's kind of a defensive end. No, he plays stand-up in space quite often. He zone drops off, and he's often running to the flat. So he's a guy you kind of just want to see more natural pass rush defensive end ability if he can hold up at edge at the next level. But very, very productive player in Jeffrey Gunter. All right, let's get to uh, our next game here. And this is another interesting one where you get to the Boca Raton Bowl. This is early on Saturday. So an 11 a.m. Eastern start here at the Boca Raton Bowl. Western Kentucky against Appalachian State. And I'll start with Appalachian State's offense against Western Kentucky's defense. And I'm going to go uh, with Hillstop, Hilltopper's pass rusher, D'Angelo Malone, and this is a guy that I first got put on uh, back a couple of years ago. Cam Clark, remember the left tackle from Charlotte, uh, told me, hey, this pass rusher from Western Kentucky, best guy I faced all of the, the 2019 season. This guy's been insanely productive over the course of his career. Coming into the season, Ben, the guy played almost 2,600 snaps on defense. He put up 24 and a half sacks in four years for the Hilltoppers. This entering this year, before this year, 24 and a half sacks, 32 hits in the quarterback, 41 and a half TF TFLs. D'Angelo Malone has been a monster these last few years. Now, 6'4", just 240 pounds. So that's going to kind of determine what kind of what kind of scheme is he going to play in? Is he going to be more of a Sam linebacker? That could be uh, his best role when he gets to the NFL. But D'Angelo Malone, interesting kind of pure high side rusher, movable chess piece uh, along the defensive front. Keep an eye on D'Angelo Malone here uh, when uh, when App State has the football. Yeah, and I guess going to the other side, Western Kentucky, that's obviously uh, quarterbacked by Bailey Zappi out there and all of his uh, Houston Baptist transfers. He brought over receiver Jarrett Stearns as well. Small receiver at 5'9", 190, brother of Caden Stearns, remember the Texas safety now playing for the Broncos. Hugely productive player, 135 catches, 1,700 yards this year. And he brought with him 220 receptions from Houston Baptist. This is a very productive player. He's going to have a pretty good corner over him most of the day. And Sean Jolly, who hasn't quite lived up to that huge 2019 season where he had five interceptions and really came on the stage. But he plays good football. He's a tough kid at 5'9", 175. His other corner mate got drafted to the Packers last year on day three. And uh, Shamar Jean Charles, if you remember, App State. A lot of tough players. DeMarco Jackson, I believe, is going to the senior bowl at linebacker. Do not scout the helmet and the logo. Both these teams, really good pro prospects. 
Now let's get to the New Mexico Bowl Saturday, two fifteen Eastern. Uh, UTEP, Fresno State, and Fresno State's offense uh, really interesting. We have no idea if Jake Hayner is going to play or not. He's like kept it up in the air. I don't know whether if they're like looking for competitive advantage in the bowl game or what. Uh, initially, he was going to transfer, but when Jeff Tedford was announced as the next head coach for Fresno State, he said, "No, I'm going to stay put." So Jake Hayner staying at Fresno State here for another season. But I want you to watch his backfield mate in Ronnie Rivers, who is a senior. He made, played his final year here for the Bulldogs. Uh, really productive player over the course of his career. His first team all-conference a year ago. What really stands out to me, I think he's a well-rounded player. I don't think there are a lot of like clear weaknesses. But there also aren't any really special traits with him as a runner. What I like most is his patience and his vision, his ability to set up blocks. That's what makes him such a good fit for zone schemes, getting to the NFL level. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. He's been a, a downfield threat. We've talked about him uh, catching some wheel routes and some seam routes down the field. So I think when you look at Ronnie Rivers, some big play potential. We'll talk about him in the next segment with Ross as well. But Rivers, a guy you definitely want to watch here in this game, Ben. Yeah, a lot of prospects there on that Fresno State offense, but they got a couple on defense as well. And it starts up front, or excuse me, it starts first with cornerback Deron Bland, who's 6'2", 200. Well, I'd call the Mountain West version of Martin Emerson at Mississippi State, or almost clones, height, weight, speed. This kid is big. He's strong, and he's got an extra gear. I saw a bunch of plays where he's running down ball carriers 40, 50, 60 yards. I just put a clip on Twitter this morning where he's hustling and running down a ball carrier 60 yards. You can see that extra gear. He's got the size. He doesn't allow many completions. I think 19 completions on 43 targets this year. It's about a 43% completion rate, which is very, very stingy against him. But remember, he was a transfer. First team, Big Sky in 2019, coming over from Sacramento State. Didn't play in 2020, so he had to rebuild his stock and his buzz. He's a really good player. Look for cornerback number one out there for Fresno State's defense. I love that. And this, and this class, I think every every class really is always looking for corners on day three that have that upside. So he definitely is a guy that can fit that bill. Uh, let's now get to the Independence Bowl. That's Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, BYU versus UAB, the acronym bowl here. Uh, I'll start with the UAB offense going up against BYU. And they've got a Shrine Bowl tight end here in Garrett Prince, who pure one-year wonder, Ben, uh, coming into this season just, uh, I mean, he, has, he started seven games. He had 14 catches in those seven games. Uh, was almost a, a non-factor after the catch. He's a junior college transfer. So I think when you look at Garrett Prince uh, at 6'5", 240 pounds, can do a little bit of everything. Can he put the exclamation point on what has been a good senior season for him and really kind of propel that into the postseason? We talked about how deep this tight end class is. He'll be fighting with the Nick Muses of the world and the Brant Keiths and some of that, the Lucas Krolls on day three of this draft. We talked about Daniel Bellinger earlier. I think you look at Garrett Prince as really kind of fitting into that discussion. Uh, can he kind of put this exclamation point and really kind of propel himself uh, into that Shrine Bowl week and, and the rest of the pre-draft process? So keep an eye out for the tight end there for UAB. Uh, what about when BYU's got the ball? When BYU has the ball, pay attention to UAB's defensive line. Alex Wright, number 16, he is 6'7", 270 pound, hulking outside linebacker. He plays a lot from a stand-up position out there, and he's got what we say is a three-way go. He can beat you inside, he'll beat you outside, he'll go right down the pipe, right through you. I just put up a clip on Twitter of him going in that three-way go, absolutely trucking a right tackle. I don't know what team this was, but he is massive, has long strides, a good first step that immediately threatens tackles vertically, which then is just open season for him to go wherever he wants. Inside moves, loves the clubs, the rips, the swipes, the swim moves, very active with his hands. Actually, the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year by PFF recently. Tons of pressures, not a lot of sacks. 
which sacks are a little fluky thing to kind of study sometimes. So a lot of people put a little more emphasis in pressure rate and he's as good as it gets. I think 51 quarterback pressures this year, which puts him in a pretty elite company this year. Think about like a Marcus Davenport coming mm -hmm. at UTSA. He had the length, he had the first step, he had the hand usage, just needs to put it all together. But number 16, UAB, he's not hard to find out there, Alex Wright. I love it. A really interesting player I knew nothing about. Uh, so I'm glad that you brought him to my attention. Uh, I would say of all these games on Saturday, the one that's got the, the heaviest weight from an NFL draft standpoint, the Lending Tree Bowl at Saturday, 5.45 p.m. Eastern time. Liberty going up against Eastern Michigan and Liberty and that quarterback, Malik Willis, this is his final uh, game as a collegiate. And it has been a little bit up and down, down the stretch the last few weeks here for Malik Willis. So can he go out on a high note here against a feisty EMU defense? Uh, Malik Willis, all the arm talent in the world. He's got, a, he's a dynamic athlete. Uh, it's all about just kind of continuing to put it all together. The flashes have been outstanding this year. We know what the upside is. Uh, what will we, how will he end his college career? Big game here for Malik Willis as he gets ready to go to the senior bowl next month. Uh, ben, who else you got here in this game? So Eastern Michigan, the other side of the ball, don't go make a sandwich when Malik Willis isn't on the field. Pay attention to the trenches in there. Their left guard, City So for Eastern Michigan, is 6'5", 330 from Canada, four-year starter. He went from left tackle to left guard. He is massive. He is wide. He moves people. And also an interesting guy, the tight end, Thomas Odakoya, 6'6", 260. He's from the Netherlands. Somebody's recruiting international out there for Eastern Michigan. A couple of really good players out there in the trenches. But City So, particularly, he is wide. He's got a big lower half, and he moves people in the run game. Big kid. Uh, look, I, I don't want to – I'm not going to say anything bad. All I'm going to say is I, I've been to EMU's campus. You're going to have to think outside the box when you're recruiting to, uh, to, get, to get to EMU. The facilities are <laughs> uh, you know, still not quite up to par, uh, even by max standards. Uh, let's go now uh, to another bowl game here. And this involves a Pac-12 team that really kind of caught on this year sneakily, and that's Oregon State. This is the L.A. Bowl, uh, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., Utah State against Oregon State. And uh, look, we're going to talk about B.J. Baylor, the Oregon State running back, uh, in the next segment with Ross. Keep an eye on the offensive line, though. And Nathan Eldridge, the, the uh, offensive guard, 6'4", 297 pounds. Uh, he has been two-time first-team All-Pac-12 offensive lineman. So uh, this is a guy that I think is uh, you know, someone continuing to build, moving on into the NFL. Uh, he's got a little bit of positional versatility to him. So Nathan Eldridge blocking out in front of B.J. Baylor, who uh, was first-team All-Conference at running back uh, this year out west in the Pac-12. Ben, how about on the other side of the football? Well, with Oregon State, I think all you really need to know is that the Joe Moore Award, which is the new award that's highlighting the best offensive line units in college football, comes up with a finalist of four teams. Yep. And Oregon State's one of them. Yep. And that made have, might have made some people sit up in their chair and say, Oregon State is one of the best offensive lines in college football. They do. And they are zone-blocking savants out there. Watch their outside zone game. I know Jamar Jefferson's off to the NFL. They got some young guys in the backfield. They block their butts off. Tons of talent on that offensive line. But flipping to the other side, Oregon State defense, a couple prospects really fast on Oregon State, three of them. Linebacker Avery Roberts, Nebraska transfer. He's a thick 230-pound linebacker, great run stuffer. Omar Spates, who I got to give some credit to because he's a former Philly kid transferred from Imatep High School here in Philly out to a high school in Oregon. His mom sent him out there after a high school teammate got shot and killed, wanted to move him away from the violence, ended up staying out there at Oregon State, was a four-star, really thick linebacker as well, plays next to Avery Roberts. And remember Nashawn Wright last year, Fran? 
Sure, third round pick for Dallas, yeah. Third round pick. I kind of made people sit up in their chair and say, whoa, third round pick, corner from Oregon, Oregon State. He was tall. He was long. Well, he's got a younger brother. That's a clone of him. So Nation Wright's younger brother, Reg John Wright, who's also 6'2", 190. So a couple of interesting players out there. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Wrights, watch that last season of Last Chance U when they were out in that L.A. community college because both Wrights were out there. Uh, who, what was the first name? Uh, Reg John. Reg John. R-E-Z-J-O-H-N. Reg John Wright. All one word. Yes. Beautiful. All right. I want to make sure I got the spelling right when I, when I write the name down. I like it. Uh, let's go over to our last bowl game here. Saturday night, 9.15 p.m., the New Orleans Bowl. That's happening in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, with Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, going up against the Marshall Thundering Herd. Uh, I will take the Louisiana offense. Obviously, they lose their head coach in Billy Napier, but uh, offensive tackle Max Mitchell going to the senior bowl. Ben, I really like Max Mitchell. Uh, the, studying this guy on film, he is a, a, a lot of fun to watch. He's played uh, left tackle, left guard, and right tackle. So you've got some position versatility there. 6'6", 299 pounds. Uh, what I like most, number one, this guy gets out of his stance fast. He really gets on off, or gets on defensive linemen quickly. He's got the ability to get out uh, and get to the edge. I think he's got light enough feet to be able to protect the corner in the NFL. I talked about the versatility. I think he uses his hands really well as well, and he's a really good blocker out in space. He's not a power player so i think he's going to be a little bit scheme specific there but i think when you look at max mitchell uh he kind of reminds me a little bit i mean this guy was a top 10 pick but he reminds me a little bit of mike mcglinchy uh and mike mcglinchy is, is a solid player uh I, I like mcglinchy uh the comparison there for max mitchell uh he's a player to watch here on the right side of that offensive line for the raging cajuns how about uh, on the other side of the ball when marshall's got it well one of the leading candidates for the all off the bus team is Louisiana nose tackle, Talon, Big Sauce Humphrey, one of the best nicknames as well. Franny, 6'5", 340, with a massive wingspan, with long arms. He's strong. He is just an absolute wrecker in the trenches in there. He's a freak show. He looks like Kwame Gathers or Jordan Phillips type of player uh, at nose tackle there. But yep. uh, he also has a guy that plays next to him, really productive player too, in Zion Hill, in a much different package. He's about 6'1", 280, and a lot more of him first step but two really good players in the trenches there and humphrey going to the shrine bowl uh, a guy to keep an eye on i believe he was on the freak list as well uh this summer from bruce feldman uh ben I'm, i can't let you out of here without uh, knocking out a mock draft roundup so we're going to go here uh to todd mcshay's most recent mock draft for espn and we'll start things off with our most surprising pick in the top 15 and i will go with a guy that you and i both love on film uh he's one of the best players in college football this year but we have not seen jamison williams the wide receiver from alabama this high in a mock draft yeah you tell me if i'm wrong i don't think i've seen jamison williams in the top 10 here they've got him going number eight to the atlanta falcons obviously you lose julio jones uh this summer hey let's get another alabama product a dynamic pass catcher pairing with another alabama guy and calvin ridley with kyle pitts that is an explosive explosive offense so uh i would i would like that fit i like that the the situation there uh for matt ryan at quarterback for the falcons but jameson williams at number eight we have not seen that i could definitely see it though uh as we get into the rest of this pre-draft process yeah, I could definitely see that as well. He was my wide receiver one. I think he'll be the only one in the conversation to be a top 15 receiver. I'm still thinking there won't be any in the top 15, but if there is, put me down for Jamison Williams. The most surprising pick in the top 15 to me was Nakobe Dean, not only being the first linebacker off the board, but seventh overall. So I thought that was a little bit high to take him over Devin Lloyd, over Christian Harris and Toyo Toyo and some other prospects out there. I like Nakobe Dean. 
Seventh is a little high. We're talking Ernie Sims country there being a top 10 pick. I don't think he's uh, quite that level of prospect. It's, a, it's actually like a, not a, a terrible comp, uh, what you talk about Sims and Dean. Um, There's spitting right. images, height, height, weight, speed. Yeah, that's a, that's not bad. Um, big, all right. big frame, about 5'11", yeah. when it's all said and done, um, but 230 and can run. And both were have that like kind of frenetic, like, I don't even know. Like they, I don't, they, not, they, can, they can move. Style, they, but... Yeah, they're very fluid athletes. They're yeah. a little. You might say they're a little. Uh, they almost like their bodies are almost scatterbrained. That's why I mean, like frenetic. Yeah, little, like the, like the way yeah. their feet kind of pattern. It's very very similar. I kind of like that comparison. Um, all right, let's get to uh, the Eagle selections here. Three first round picks, and it's looking more and more like that will be the case here this spring for the Eagles. The first one, tenth overall. Uh, this is the Eagles' original pick. Uh, they take Michigan pass rusher David Ojabo. Ben, I believe this is the highest uh, we've seen Ojabo in a mock draft. Uh, let's get into uh, the blurb here from Todd McShay. Philly jumpstarts its three-pick round one party with an explosive pass rusher. Ojabo's first step is lightning fast, and he closes on the quarterback extremely well. His 11 sacks and 14 TFLs this season prove it. Brandon Graham will be 34 and returning from an Achilles injury next season, and only two teams have fewer sacks this year than the Eagles. And while they would love to see Kyle Hamilton fall to them, the Eagles get a defensive upgrade with Ojabo. Michigan has had multiple first-round defenders only three times, but here it sends two to the top ten. Quarterback, obviously a question mark as well. If the Eagles decide to move on from Jalen Hurts, they could deal some of these first-round picks to upgrade, but I can't see them gambling on a weak crop of quarterback prospects if they can't solve the issue by trade or free agency. Ben, what are your thoughts here? David Ojabo, 10 overall. Yeah, he's a really interesting player. I think you got to be very excited about his development and his upside and his potential as a very young ascending football player. Um, I think 10 is a little bit high at the moment for him, but if you're then projecting on what he can be, that's probably the appropriate ballpark. I know he's still kind of up in the air on whether to come out or not, but if his consensus grade from the draft committee is a first-round pick, it seems like he's, he's going to come out all day long. Just a matter of what are your expectations those first couple of years, that first year? How much does he need to get stronger? How much does he really need to grow as a run defender? Is he just a sub-package player? I think you have to look at the rest of the first round. The very next pick is the Marvin Leal, who's more of a thick, hulking defensive end. It can slide inside. I see Trayvon Walker much later in the first round. Again, a thick outside line or a thick defensive end. It can slide inside. Uh, and then there's some guys that aren't in this first round. So I think you have to weigh the positional depth with everything and what your expectations are of a Jabo because he's not a traditional prospect uh, considering his football arc and still uh, developing. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think we have to remember the whole body of work when you talk about David Ojabo. And that doesn't mean look past this year. Obviously, he was a non-factor uh, before this season. But uh, it's not just about the highlights and the sack plays. You got to be a consistent, can he be a consistent three down player? I think that's the question here moving forward with David Ojabo. How long until you get to that point uh, with him? I think that's a question. Uh, and that's a fine question to ask uh, about a guy you would take number 10. Let's get to the 14th overall pick. This is the pick that comes from the Miami Dolphins. Eagles picking linebacker Devin Lloyd from Utah. This is a guy that the Eagles uh, picked in our mock draft that we did earlier this week. Uh, Eric Edholm having Devin Lloyd take him with that third pick in the first round. Here's the blurb from Todd McShay. The Eagles have taken just one linebacker in the first round over the last 40 years, uh, but it's obvious that they could use a playmaker in the middle of that defense. Lloyd, who's got 96 tackles, 20 TFLs, seven sacks, and four interceptions just this season for Utah, is rangy and moves around the field like a 235-pound safety. He could quickly become a QB on defense for Philadelphia. Cincinnati quarterback uh, Ahmad Gardner and USC receiver Drake London may also be in play. Ben, thoughts there? Devin Lloyd, uh, a guy you and I are both very intrigued by there in the middle of round one. 
Yeah, we'd love to see him. He's a three-down linebacker. Everything you said is true. He obviously can contribute in the, the run game, the pass game, as a blitzer, as a true defensive end, as a quarterback spy. He's got the ball skills, the range, the temperament, the leadership. He checks a lot of boxes. And considering the revolving door at linebacker here over the last three, four years, we have some nice pieces in Alex Singleton and TJ Edwards, I think was definitely warranted that contract. Having that mainstay in Devin Lloyd, a three-down linebacker, will bring stability to not only the linebacker room, but the defense in general. So Devin Lloyd, would love to have him here in Philadelphia. Uh, what are gun to your head? Ahmad Gardner or Drake London? If you had to go with a backup pick there, would you take Ahmad Gardner or Drake London? Those were the, the two backup selections there listed by Todd. Ahmad Gardner. I think he's really, really impressive as an athlete. I think he can play press man, play all off. Day. He's long. Yep. Yeah, he's that alpha dog corner that I think would fit any defensive scheme. Yeah, his his uh, press man ability and his competitiveness, really, really fun player. Kind of, I wrote down Xavier Rhodes while watching uh, Ahmad Gardner uh, recently. All right, let's get to the third pick here. 20th overall, this is the pick that comes from the Colts in the Carson Wentz trade. Wide receiver Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Here's the blurb from Todd. The Eagles are projected to have three picks in the top 20, and we used the first two on defense with Ojabo and Lloyd. An NFL team has gone to the wide receiver well in the first round in three consecutive drafts just once in the common draft era, but – Let's face it, Philadelphia still needs pass catchers despite drafting Jalen Rager and Devontae Smith the last two years. Wilson's body control and adjusting to the ball in the air is incredible. He has the wheels to make the big play downfield, and he shows a nose for the end zone. Cornerback is another position to watch, especially with Auburn's Roger McCreary still out there. So, Ben, thoughts on uh, Garrett Wilson? We haven't really seen him mock to the Eagles offense, so uh, interested to hear on your thoughts here with Garrett Wilson. Yeah, another kind of interesting undersized receiver. I don't think he's going to do a lot of damage outside the numbers at the next level, but the guy that can win on crossing routes and you give him any sort of space in the slot or from tight splits, he can chew up cushion and kind of make cornerbacks and defensive backs look dumb by the way he really attacks leverage and knows how to create space for himself. Really good at the catch point, can win over the top. Just a matter of if you feel like he's a good complementative, you know, fit for your receiver room, what you already have. So, you know, with Jalen Rieger and Devontae Smith, there's a lot of clones as far as height, weight, speed. Do they want a little more diversity in that receiver room? We'll see. But Garrett Wilson, really a good player and a guy I believe our buddy Dane Brugler has been banging as wide receiver one on his rankings. Yeah, and uh, Roger McCreary uh, would not be a bad fallback option, as Todd uh, lays out there uh, at corner. Uh, I've said n numerous times how much I'm a big fan of Roger McCreary. Last question, which pick in the 16 to 32 range, the back end of round one, would be the cherry on top for the respective team? And, and you know me, I'm trying to find different ways to, to talk about players on the back end of these mock drafts. And last night, I'll, I'll admit, uh, Meg made a nice old-fashioned little Jameson, little, a little cherry in there. So I'm, I get that cherry. I'm like, all right, let's do this for the mock draft. Cherry on top for the team that selects them. <laughs> Who do you like here uh, for yours? Well, I had a really tough time picking because I see Jahan Dotson, speedy receiver going to Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Oh, come on, another weapon for Reid. Or a trail on Burks to the New England Patriots. Having a quick little yards after catch threat, RPO threat, and a guy that can win deep in that offense and that kind of run-based offense for Mac Jones. And then I see the last pick, Cam Thomas and Bruce Arians together. Come on. He just adds more and more parts to that front seven. He ran to the podium last year to take Joe Tryon, then a nice piece. They are deep on that Bucks front. I mean, their second line is really impressive. They have guys like um, Anthony Nelson and Pat O'Connor, I believe, that are really good players. William Golson, that nobody knows about because they're so deep on the front. So going to add another really productive player, which all intents and purposes, nobody knows who Cam Thomas is at this point, but they need to. He is a first-round talent. 
Yeah. And keep in mind, Tampa Bay, uh, JPP, free agent, William Golston, uh, Golston, free agent, and Tom and Donald Kisu, free agent. So uh, that defensive line, and they're not going to be able to, they can't do what they did last year. They can't bring that whole crew back uh, once again. And even if JPP and Sue aren't free agents, they're getting up there. Right. They're getting up there. They yep. play hard. They play a lot. They're 30, mid 30s at this point. They are ageless wonders, but at some point, you got to prepare for the future. Yep, I like it. Uh, for me, I'm going to stay on the defensive line. Uh, 27 overall, the Dallas Cowboys selecting Trayvon Walker. Uh, you and I were just watching the the Washington football team take on the Dallas Cowboys last week, and we were just marveling at uh, this Dallas defense and all the pieces they've got uh, at all three levels, really. But I think when you look at that, that pass rush front and you say, okay, uh, you've got – Demarcus Lawrence, and you've got uh, Randy Gregory and Micah Parsons, and they get Neville Gallimore back. Throw Trayvon Walker in there. It's like, man, like, oh, we can't throw enough bodies at, at opposing offenses. So Trayvon Walker uh, at 27 to Dallas, that's one where it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a cherry on top kind of pick. And I think the Cowboys, this past offseason to where they are today, is a great confidence booster for any fans out there to know you can make huge changes in a year. Change to defensive scheme add some high-level talent like Michael Parsons, Odigizua, a couple guys off the street in free agency like Keanu O'Neill and Demonte Kaziz. Get some young Diggs guys to develop with Diggs, yep. No question. And it's just a great kind of confidence booster to say, yes, our defense stinks right now. We're frustrated on Sundays. You can fix it, and you can fix it in an offseason. And that Cowboys defense was historically bad last year. And those guys are flying around, and they are violent and nasty and yeah. playing very, very confident. So uh, you can make changes in a year. Just make the right moves. No, don't make the right moves. And it's something we talk about consistently here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Ben, we'll be back with you next week. Uh, myself, uh, you, Dane, will be back uh, breaking everything we see down uh, this weekend here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, time to wrap this show up as I welcome in my buddy Ross Tucker for pick six. Ross, you and I only uh, picked one game last week. It was Army-Navy. We both lost because Navy comes up with the dub. Uh, You were there in attendance. How was it uh, covering that game? Awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. It is my favorite, favorite day of the year. And honestly, it was a a great game. I mean, it it seemingly always is. And even though I do the Army home games – on television for CBS Sports Network, you know, there's part of me that was certainly really happy for the Navy kids. They had such a terrible season, you know, and that win makes their whole their whole year. No question. Uh, they talk, they both, both sides talk about that. That's the only game that matters to them uh, on the schedule. But uh, let's now get into some of these bowl games. As we enter the postseason, uh, you have an eight-game lead on me right now because of a couple of big upset wins for you down the stretch in the regular season. We give four points for an upset win. So I need some. Uh, I need to make up some ground here over these next couple of weeks if I'm going to catch you before the national title game. We'll start off with a couple of pick-ems. First one here, Boca Raton Ball, Western Kentucky, Appalachian State, who do you like here, Ross? Uh, I'm going to go Appalachian State. Um, I love Western Kentucky, but I still feel like App State recruits better, has more recent bowl experience. I'll go App State, but I don't feel great about it. I'm going App State as well. Uh, Western Kentucky's never won a bowl game. They're still looking for that first W. App State is 6-0 and uh, in bowl games. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is a team, obviously, that's a little bit more battle-tested. Uh, they've been there before. Western Kentucky, they've got 
Uh, they've got some guys this year, right? Bailey Zappi going to the Senior Bowl. Uh, you've got Jareth Stearns uh, at wide receiver. has been extremely productive, but uh, I will also will go with App State here in this one. Let's now go to our next pick here. Marshall against Louisiana, the New Orleans Bowl. And I have a feeling uh, I know which way you're going to go here because of your, uh, your podcast partner. Uh, I can't imagine Emory is going to let you go a different way here. No, Emory Hunt on the College Draft Podcast, which is every week on Tuesdays. He is a stud. Uh, love Emory. And, man, he's got me brainwashed probably about <laughs> Louisiana and, and the way they've been able to play over the years. So I will be taking the Raging Cajuns. It occurred to me after I put together the, the games that we were picking that you probably would not be taking Marshall here. Um, look, Louisiana hasn't lost since uh, week one against Texas. I, I can't pick against them. So as much as I want to go away from you on a number of these so I can start making up some ground, uh, I just feel Louisiana is going to win this game. And so uh, I will go with UL here on this one. Let's see if I go separate from you here. Over under. This one's a big one here. The Lending Tree Bowl. Liberty. Eastern Michigan, last opportunity here for Malik Willis, the quarterback for Liberty, uh, to make a, a big splash before getting ready for the Senior Bowl next month. Thoughts on the over-under here, two and a half total touchdowns. That's rushing and passing for Malik Willis against EMU. Over. Yeah, I don't think Eastern Michigan has a great defense. They need him to score at least three touchdowns. That This was an easy over for me. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to go under here. Uh, I I think EMU has been feisty uh, these last few weeks. I think this is a team that, um, look, they're kind of like what we were talking about with Western Kentucky. This isn't necessarily a battle-tested program, right? They're not always uh, in the postseason. But I, I'm going to look at EMU, the way that they've kind of played over these last weeks. Malik Willis, uh, the production has kind of tailed off here down the stretch. Uh, I'll take the under here just because I want to try and uh, see if I can make up some ground. Let's now go to our either-or. We're going to look at a couple different bowls here. We've got uh, BYU against UAB in the Independence Bowl. BYU's got that stud running back, Tyler Algier. Who runs for more yards, Algier or, if we go over to the New Mexico Bowl, your boy Ronnie Rivers for Fresno State taking on UTEP. Who do you like here? More total rushing yards in this game, Algier or Ronnie Rivers uh, this weekend? Algier, because the key is rushing yards. I think yes. Ronnie Rivers will catch a few more passes, but I think Hayner and Fresno State will throw it more than BYU. I'm going Algier. I'm going to go Rivers. I, I think that, you know, when you look at Fresno State here, uh, heavily favored in that New Mexico New Mexico Bowl against UTEP. Uh, Rivers obviously has put plenty of uh, bodies on his – or put, put plenty of carries on his body already. Uh, but this is a guy – I mean, you, you've talked about in the past. Just a really, really good runner. Uh, I'll go Rivers here for more rushing yards this weekend. Let's now go to uh, the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Uh, very interesting here. Oregon State against Utah State. Uh, Oregon State, they've got a stud running back out west uh, that we haven't really talked about here, the senior B.J. Baylor. So what number is higher for B.J. Baylor against Utah State? His yards per carry or the amount of points he scores in the game? I'm going to give you six points for a touchdown. Which number is higher, his yards per carry or his point score? By the way, I didn't even know there was a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. That's incredible. Yeah, I I know. It's that is why I'm looking it up. I'm looking up the bowl names. And I'm like I'd like had to do like a triple take on that one. At any rate, um, I'll go points. I think he'll score a touchdown. I don't know if his yards per carry will be over six, but I think he'll get a touchdown in the game. Interesting. Uh, I I look. Utah State is kind of towards the bottom. They're in the bottom third of the uh, the Mountain West in terms of run defense. So I do think uh, that the the uh, opportunity is here for BJ Baylor to have a big game. 
essentially this does come down to like, do you feel pretty good about him reaching the end zone once or potentially even twice? Uh, if he reaches it twice, I mean, I, that, that really kind of sets it. Uh, I'm going to go with the points here. Now let's get to our upset special. And obviously this is where uh, a lot of points can be made up here for me, Ross. And I'll let you pick first here. Handful of games for between now and our recording next Tuesday. So I'll, I got all the games out in front of you. What's the big upset to win here in all of these matchups? You know, I thought about a bunch of these teams, actually, yeah. but I'm going to go Northern Illinois. Um, I'm tired of doubting Carolina. Them. Yeah, I'm tired of doubting them. I've been doubting Northern Illinois all year in the MAC, and all they did was go win the MAC championship. Last year's MAC champs, Ball State, they were able to beat San Jose State in the bowl game. I'm going to go Northern Illinois to do the same thing that Ball State did last year, take care of business. So I for a, I almost went with another MAC team. I almost went Eastern Michigan over Liberty. Decided not to go there. Uh, I almost went UTEP over Fresno, but I just feel too good about Fresno State. So where I settled in, Old Dominion over Tulsa. Old Dominion started the season one in six. Ross, uh, they had some rough, rough losses to start the year. They win five straight, roar into the postseason at six and six. They're taking on another six and six team here in Tulsa. Uh, let's go ODU. Uh, I'll, let's see if they can uh, make up some ground for me here this weekend. You know what? I thought about ODU as well. That was the other one I thought about. I don't think Tulsa is great, and Ricky Ronnie's done a terrific job with ODU for sure. So I can see that one. That's a good. That's a good pick. Yeah, I think I'm confident one of ours will come through. All right, I, there are a couple of these that were that were tricky, but uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, how we do, man. Like I said, you've got an eight game lead on me uh, as we start bowl season. I'll see if I can make up some ground. Ross, thanks so much for joining us once again for Pick Six, and we will talk to you next week. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, from Ben Fennell, from Eric Galco, and Mr. Jim Nagy. Thanks to everybody uh, for coming on the show this week. Outstanding stuff. And thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show. We will be back next week breaking it all down. I just said it here uh, with Ben towards the end of the show. We're going to break it down myself. Ben, Dane, we're going to tell you everything that we saw this week in college football. If you haven't already, be sure to go check out our mock draft we did earlier this week with Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. Really fun exercise just to get you primed for the top names as we get closer and closer to the pre-draft process. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella Giovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.